Amen. Well, Brother Mike is going to share a message, and, you know, even it ties into what I shared earlier about people are, there's things stirring in people's hearts about how they want to obey the Lord and do what the Lord is calling them to do. And, and so Mike's even going to share today a little bit about what God is wanting to, uh, you know, stirring him to do, and the message kind of leads into that. And so, and then hopefully next week I'll start a series on the book of Ephesians, and we're going to have a series on the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to help us on how to study the Word and how to get in the Word uh, deeper. Does anybody want more deeper in the Word? And so um, I'm going to be starting a series shortly. But uh, I know Mike has something on his heart. So if you guys will just bless him. We'll release Flip 180 right now. You guys can be released. If you have a fourth through seventh grade, I believe it is, they can be released right now to get the word. And uh, we just bless Mike. Father, I thank you for Michael. And I bless, thank you for the gift that he is. And uh, I pray, God, that you would just bless him and let him have a good time as he shares your word. In Jesus' name, we receive you, Mike. Amen. Check, check. Good morning. Wasn't that great? I've, uh, we do have a good God. My name is Mike Brown, and Jesus loves me. Ain't that? And you love me too. Isn't that awesome? That song, every time I hear it over the past few weeks, has a, uh, I don't know, man, it really messes with you. If you really start to get the understanding of that he is a good, good father. Even when you hear the verses and how it talks about in the second verse, how there are many searching for answers. But I know that they're searching for answers that only you, he, can provide. Let that sink in for a minute. We're all searching for answers. He, people are out there searching for answers. Now, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit decides and then he created this whole universe that his whole plan was to use people, was to use us. Would you agree? So there's people searching for answers. Say this, there are people, there are people searching, for searching for answers. I know, I know who, has the answer. who has the answer. I know who has the answers? All right. Well, I've got a bunch of notes here. Thank you, Chad Cooper, for saying when I told him I was going to be sharing today, he says, better cancel my plans because Mike Brown's a little long-winded. Thank you, Chad Cooper. Just want you to know that that is from my spiritual granddad, Lynn Furrow. So, Lynn, if you hear this, I have got your long-windedness. Thank you, granddad Furrow. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, testimony. You want to hear a great testimony? Yeah, this is going to lead into my message. Marcus, come on up here. Yeah. You'll need to grab the mic here, buddy. Everybody say hi, Marcus. Hello. I love this man. I am I'm proud of this man. Amen. I'll just let you share. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, 
I was raised by, my dad's a preacher, so I was raised with a real good childhood, followed God, and of course I strayed along the way and fell off and got arrested, hit the bottom of my rope, and you know, it led me back to the Lord, I opened my heart to the Lord. Well, this week, uh, I got a text on Facebook to, from one of the arresting officers that saw how I turned my life around, and Make it a short story. Uh, I'm meeting with him after church today to, <laughs> to maybe hopefully he can turn his life around also. <laughs> so it just, uh, you know, it's just uh, lets me see how I've grown and how I've came. Man, I got a long ways to go. But it really makes me feel good that, you know, He's been on the other side of the fence, and now he's asking me for help. And just all of you, pray for me today and pray for us. And hopefully I can reach him, you know. That's pretty much it. Go ahead. Good job. Give it to him. Everyone is searching for answers. Everyone. Everyone is searching for answers. All right, we're going to pray because I really need some discernment on how to, uh, how and where to go. We're going to pray in the Spirit first. So go ahead, just jump on in, pray in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for you have all power. Jesus, thank you for coming to us so we can be uh, brought back to the Father, that we can have right relationship to the best dad in the whole, whole world. So, Daddy, I thank you for your word, for your love letters that are in this book. I thank you for your power to preach the word with anointing and conviction, not condemnation, but conviction Lord, that way we may obey the word and use this vessel however you see fit. Amen. Give you another quick testimony of my daughter. Uh, my wife over here, she was one up here helping lead worship. I got three kids, McKinley, Isaac, and Addie. Uh, I am an evangelist. I am a prophetic evangelist. So, if you want some questions about that, if they don't get answered today, we're going to get there, all right? Come see me. Come talk to me. I am an evangelist. I know the guy who's got all the answers, and I know how to get you guys to get to the people who need the answers, all right? My daughter, of course, since it's in my blood, it kind of gets into my kids, um, she, for the past two weeks, has been all excited. Father-daughter dance, father-daughter dance, father-daughter dance. So what does she do? She spends two weeks at school telling her friends, I'm going to father-daughter dance. You ought to go to the father-daughter dance. It's great. You ought to go to the father-daughter dance. Tell your dad you ought to go to the father-daughter dance. So the next week, she makes out invitations to three specific people. Now, there's a lesson in this. Not just to her whole class, three specific people made invitations wrote the time she even went dad's dress up 
wear a suit. <laughs> Girls wear nice dresses. Smith Building, time. Gave it to these three kids, and we talked about it on Saturday. She's like, Dad, can't wait to see all my friends. I know they're going to come. I'm like, you know what? Yes, they are. She gets there. We get in there, and she's like, Dad, I need to see if my friends are here first. And she goes, and she sees all three kids. All three little girls, all three little third-grade girls that she went to, that she took time to make sure, to listen, to hear from the Lord on key people. Who do I reach, Jesus? Who do I reach, God? Did they come to church? No. But did they go to an event with Christian men? Did they go to an event with non-Christian men there as well, watching Christian men interact with their baby girls and their older girls? It doesn't matter how old you are. You always be baby girls. All right, so she went out and she did something. She heard from the Lord and three of her friends showed up. Thank you, Tony and Fatherhood Initiative. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for using my daughter. All right, let's hit some notes here real quick. Put on your seatbelt, strap in. We're going to go through and hit this hard. Yep, buckle in, let's go. If you don't get everything it is on the podcast, please listen. If you don't get a chance to turn into your word, that's okay. Write at least write the scriptures down. You guys know what this is? It's a sword. It's a Bible. What else is it? It's a gift. What else? It's the word of God. It's instructions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a foundation. And it's a revelation. And it does have all the answers. I'm going to start out by saying this as well. I'm a reader. I'm a reader. I love to read. I like to read, and I'm on the road to learning to love to read. There we go. Let's, let's speak some truth out there, but let's get like right where Mike Brown's at. All right? But here's what happens is I'm getting in this week and I'm reading in the Word and I use my iPad and I use my iPhone and I use Google and I'm learning and I'm searching up stuff. I'm telling you, it really, some things started to come alive. So I'm going to shoot through some of this stuff and I'm going to believe that the power of the Word, the Word can do the preaching and it's going to saturate and get into the soil of your soul. All right, one of the things that got said last week, which I thought was very powerful, which has made me think, the word without spirit is dead. The spirit without the word is dangerous. Okay, would you agree? I thought that was very good. Come on, iPad. All right, Todd's been preaching about the importance of the word, and guess what? It is very important. He shared with you the prophetic word about how we are not theologically founded we are we were founded that way but we're not theologically sound would that be a good word All right, including me mike brown so we got to dig in we got to get more there are other churches who do have some really good theology and they they're really sound they're really strong in it i am learning that even though that me and my parents we've had our issues i thank god for phil and chris brown because they gave me a good foundation There were some things that they pounded in me, even though some of it was legalistic. It was truth. All right? Many of us have taken Jesus as the chief cornerstone and just built everything on that. He's just the cornerstone. He's just where it starts. The Word has got everything else in here. So I'm going to give you biblical principles today on why you shouldn't just come here on Sunday 
why you shouldn't just go try to help people in your church, why you shouldn't just go to other churches and try to get people to come to this church, because that's not evangelism. And that's not even evangelistic. That's stealing, really. All right, now I'm not saying that some of you haven't been called here, because I know some of you have. And you are from other churches, and that's great. God's got you here for a reason. But evangelism is not going to the other churches and saying, my church is better than yours. We got something you don't come here. That's not how it works. Okay? And it's in the Word, too, that you shouldn't be doing that, all right? All right, so Tom also hit on Ephesians chapter 4. Please go there. We're going to read that real quick. I'm going to be turning in my Bible where I got several things marked here. Interesting how that's going to turn into Eric's whole message there for a little bit on the study of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, we're going to read verses 8 through 16. And here we go. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to the people. Notice that it says he ascended. This means that Christ came first down to the lowly world in which we live. Then some, oh, the same one who came down is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens is that his rule might fill the entire universe. He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to what? The is to equip just Eric and Chuck and the ones who are interested and who are got time to build up the... Oh, that's not what that says, is it? It says to equip God's people. Some versions say to equip the whole body to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we have come into such what? Unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we may be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Did I say go on to 16? Yeah. Then we will no longer be like what? Forever changing our what? Minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has clearly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly as part do, as each part does its special work. It helps other parts grow, that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of Love, yes, all right, that's good stuff. Study that this week. Let the Holy Spirit speak some stuff to you, all right? Again, I'm an evangelist, and my job is to equip you, all of you. Say, all of us. Say, I have no excuses after today. All right, I also like the point that Tom brought out. He said, uh, there was, there's this a, a um, phrase he used, to me versus through me, all right? Every one of you in here have had evangelism done to you. Even our worship today, even though we was, was praising the Lord, we was giving glory to God, there was an evangelistic uh, call and an evangelistic atmosphere and anointing of the daddy, of daddy loving on you of calling out to you, of hugging you. That's evangelistic. Your daddy is an evangelist. 
And your brother Jesus is one too. All right, a couple months ago, I preached a message out of Matthew 4, 9, chapter 4, verse 19, that basically said, follow me and I will make you disciples or I will make you fishers of men. Follow me is about, hey, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to show you how to do certain things. That's what Jesus did. I'm going to spend my life with you. Fishers of men is the evangelistic part. It's very important that evangelism and discipleship work together. And I really think you're starting to see that. Am I talking really fast because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like pedal to the metal. All right. Uh, even over the past two or three years as we've had an evangelistic team here and, and we've done some things, I can see how even that is changing. And that's, we're going to hit on that here in a minute. How even Chris Hansen, who's been a major part of the evangelistic team, how he's doing something a little bit different now, but it's still evangelistic. All right. He's, he's calling men to step forth, come up. All right, he's, he's, you got men coming up here, and it's really that whole part is all about the discipleship part. And, and here I am, I'm all about go, 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 get out, get in the darkness, get the lost. Well, if we don't have a place, if we get the lost to plug them into discipleship, it doesn't really work. We're not doing follow me and I will make you. We're just doing one or the other. So that's even why I'm, I'm so proud of Chris. He's jumped up and he's taken a hold of this. And, and this is like a, a whole, um, it's like the other half of, of what evangelism should be. So he's still part of the team, but it just looks different. Does that make sense? Because you really need both. Because now as these men are getting discipled, they're going to have the tools to get out and say, I am a man and I have courage. Guess what? I can be like Marcus and go meet with the cops who've arrested me in the past or people I've hurt or whatever. And you can start showing light because what it is, is the light is coming out and you cannot ignore light. Okay. Agreed. All right. Come on, iPad. Let's keep on, keep on going. (sighs) All right, so in that, Jesus ties discipleship and evangelism together. I'm an evangelist, so my job is to equip you to go out to do the work. We also had some stuff from Shelley's message, all right, which really wasn't about evangelism, but you can use parts of that for evangelism because we all have power. And what's happened is the past is the evangelist has just basically went out and stripped your power out and said, you have no choice. You need to be saved because you're going to hell. Come on. Come to church with me or you're going to die. You know, that's taking their power. They all have a choice. God gives you a choice. And then even when we get them saved and we bring them into church, you're like, well, you have to do this and get filled with the Holy Spirit right now. And you need discipleship and you need to fix your marriage. And you need to get off drugs and don't smoke weed and don't drink before you come to church. <laughs> I did most of those right after I got saved. <laughs> All right. There were, we can talk later. All right. Our job is to go out and find them and bring them in. And it's not necessarily even to bring them into the church. It's to introduce them to dad and then build relationships with our church and other churches. Because this church ain't for everybody. There's some that need to go to Foursquare. There's some that need to go to Memorial Baptist. There's some that need to go to uh, First Baptist and Second Baptist and the Pentecostal. And I mean, we need relationship with each other so that once we get them saved and we know, oh, you're not really going to fit in here, but man, Jerry Ingalls sure can't help you. You know, or even in other little areas of the county, all right? That's important. Relationship. 
All right, and we have pre- we, the church has pressed the boundaries of others. We have scared people into salvation and pushed them into letting us witness in order to meet a quota or to get out our testimony just for the sake of evangelism. Hey, let me tell you my testimony. You really need to hear it because I can really tell it really good, you know? And we just push and push and push, and people are finally like they do one of two things. All right, I'll get saved. Tell me. All right, get off my back just to push you away or it, it gets worse than that and then they start talking about you and then they won't have nothing to do with you and then you have no way to even build a bridge to show them who Jesus is. <sighs> Man. Uh, well, somebody put me some water in here. Thank you. You can get it almost all the way up to the top. Close, about three quarter. All right. Okay, we have diminished evangelism and discipleship down to an event. Now, let, let's clear, clarify, events are a part of discipleship and a part of evangelism, but that is not the only thing. They are needed, needed things that we need to do, just like Fatherhood Initiative Dance. There were, I know Nathan, he invited a couple people to come that are not saved, and yet they get to see Christ at work. They get to see the love of the Father at work. And you can look around at some of these people who are like, I can't believe that men are spending time with their daughters, that they're dressing up, they're hugging. I can look around and I can see a few as they start to tear up because they're feeling something. Jesus, Daddy God was in that place and it was doing something, right? It's important. Events are important, but they're not the only way. All right. So, what does the word say about what an evangelist does? Let's go a little bit deeper. I real, I've, I wish that I could take credit for this. I'm pulling off some of Tom's stuff. Let's go to Isaiah 61. I know, we all pull from others. 61. It's a lot easier to do this when you just use a lot of scripture because then the pressure's not even on you. (laughs) Anyway, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 7. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because, wow, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks in his own glory. For they rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago destroyed. They will revive them. They have been empty for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of God. You will be fed with the treasures of the nations and will boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. Wow. That's evangelism. Now, How many of you want to be prosperous and full of joy? Then evangelize. 
Then go out and get somebody and do something. We tie. We're all about faith and prosperity and getting rich and all that stuff. Now, we don't do it for that. But I'm telling you, this tells us there's a blessing that comes with going out and releasing the captives, with revealing the good news and not the bad news. Okay? You can watch that on TV. Uh, Let me see what this one says because I can't remember why I had this one down. Ah, Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, Jesus responded, Satan has come to this home today, for the man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. Am I reading the right place? Yes. And I, yeah, son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. All right. Say, save those who are lost. Okay. That's right. Salvation. Thank you, Shelby. I appreciate that for helping setting me straight there. <laughs> That's the purpose of team right there. You have everybody help. All right, so why should we do this? All right, I could come up here. I can preach a great message, hopefully. I can fire you guys up. I mean, God has blessed me with an ability to where if there was something to do next week, I could probably pull 20 or 30 of you together, and we could pull something off. That is not what I want to happen. What you need to hear, what I need to get forth to you, is what the Word says about evangelism. And that you should have no excuses, including myself. I should have no excuses. All right? So would you agree, because this is the one that really went home. And if you get anything, I know I want you to get evangelism. But this next verse... You really need to take home and you really need to read it and marinate on it because this verse does not just relate to evangelism. It relates to every aspect of our life, okay? Let's go to James 4, verse 17. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this one more time. Is evangelism a good thing? It's great, isn't it? If you say it's a good thing, stand up. And if you don't think it is, you don't have to. You won't be kicked out of the church. Just about everybody in here says it's a good thing. All right, sit down. Somebody read me James uh, chapter 4, verse 17, because I'm having a problem finding it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Read it one more time. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Yes. So... Not Mike Brown, not Mike Brown saying this, the word of God that was given to James says that it is sin not to do something that is good. Now, every one of you in here just stood up and said that evangelism, going out to evangelize, sharing your testimony, bringing in the lost is a good thing. So let me ask this, and you don't have to answer. If you are not doing this good thing, how many times have you not done it that you should have? So how many times have you sinned? And is it also a principle if we continue to live in sin and do the same sin over and over and over again? What does that say about our life? 
There's, there's no obedience. We're not walking in obedience. Now, it's easy to say, well, you shot somebody, you sinned, or you're doing this, you cheated on your wife, and you're in sin. But what about the good things we're supposed to do that we just totally ignore? Now, could that be the verse that I really, I go over in my head at least once or twice a week and I meditate on, is when Jesus says, there will be those who prophesied in my name, who healed in my name, who did good deeds, who led people to salvation, who did all this stuff, but yet you will get to heaven and he will say, well, Kate, who are you? Michelle, who are you? You know, Jenny, who are you? Mason, who are you? Mike Brown, who are you? Because I've done all those things, but it doesn't mean nothing in the full scale. What about all the other stuff that we're supposed to be doing that we don't? Is that, could that be what Jesus is hinting at when he says, if you don't do those good things, there'll be a time when you come before me that I will not even know who you are. See, we're good at really pointing out people's sin. But we're not really good at looking at ourselves and saying, this is what I should be doing. Are you, are you following? Okay. Where are we at? 12.06. Bam. We are just running through this. All right. I'm going to read Luke 14. Verses 16 through 27. And then I'm going to read some stuff that I found on it. Did you realize that this, this scripture, Luke 14, 16 through 27, as it's talking about the banquet feast, that there's also a cross-reference back into Isaiah about a feast as well. And when I read that and then I started pulling up commentary on it, that is when broken arrow, what is it, brackies, whatever, that thing. I could feel it. There was something that happened in there, and I'm like, whoa. There was some stuff that really started to come alive. Because as we read this story, there's more to it than just the excuses that people used. Because we've all used excuses. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 14. We all track and we all good. Wonderful. Everybody still awake? Sweet. Luke 14, we'll start with verse 16. I'm going to start with verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a privilege it would be to share in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this illustration, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his service servant around to notify the guest that the time had come. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it. So he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married so he couldn't come. All right, men. Never use your wife as an excuse. Ashley, I've used you as an excuse and I'm sorry. She's like, yeah, you have. Valentine's Day's coming up. No. I'm just kidding. Do not use your wife as an excuse. And we're going to touch on that here in a second. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was angry and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and invite the poor and crippled, the lame, the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For those who I invited, the first will, get, will not even get the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. Is that how far I said to go? Did I say 24? 
Oh, 27? Okay. Great crowds were following Jesus. He turned around and said, if you want to be my follower, you must first love me and then love your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. We're going to stop there for just a second. We have several things that are going on here. It was tradition back in those times to actually send out two invitations to people for a meal. All right, this is kind of where that the RSVP comes from for wedding feast. All right, what would actually happen is that the preparer of the meal would send his servants out ahead of time and say, Tanya, I'm having a big feast, big shindig, can you come? You'd say yes or no. You'd go, Michelle, can you, yes or no? And, and Leela, Grant, can you come? Yes or no? And Leslie, and they would get everything in order. Invitation number one, got many promises, because we're going to get to why he was angry. Got all these promises, so the, the, guy, the, the servants come back, Master, you know, however many is going to be here. So then he starts the preparation. He starts to get duck and chicken and all these different kind of animals. And I won't go into some of the boring details, but they knew all right, they were detailed, like Tom Preble and Pastor Eric and my wife and Shelby Hyatt and all the rest of you detailed people in here. Because probably if I, was the serv- if I was the guy doing the feast, I'd have been like, ah, well, just forget him. Let's go find some more people to party. But he was angry because people didn't keep their word. All right, so they knew precisely how much one duck would feed, how much one chicken would feed. So they would get everything all together. Now, let me read this. The detail that the invitation is opened up to society. Oh, never mind. That's the second part. Sorry about that. So they open it up, or they don't open it up. So he goes out. He gets the invitations. They come back, gets everything prepared. That's why they go back out again the second time. This could be weeks later could be a month or two later. It just depends. It's RSVP. So they go out and they start getting excuses, okay? Now, let me change my notes here. Give me a minute. Okay, it was considered to be very rude to attend a banquet if you were not invited. After all, the meal had been prepared with you in mind. So if you cancel out, it was... Very rude, obviously. So the second invitation is to notify the guests that the meal is ready. That Greek word come means literally continue coming. I thought that was important. It's just not a one-time gig. It's just not come and leave. That word was actually they would continue to come in. All right? The meal had been prepared, the table set, and the people notified. To back out now was an insult. In the Middle East, and I'm going to give you some details In the Middle East, no one buys a field without first examining it thoroughly. The springs, the wells, the stone walls, the trees, the past, the anticipated rainfall are all well known long before a decision of the purchase has even begun. The excuse is a lie and an obvious one. And the guest is is stating that in no uncertain terms that the field is more important than the relationship with the host. Let that sink in. When you lie, when you come up with an excuse, you are saying that what you are wanting to do is more important than your relationship with Father God, who is the host of the banquet. 
In a community where interpersonal relationships are very important, this strikes even harder as an offense. Let's talk about the oxen. The team of oxen are sold in the Middle East in two ways. They are taken to the marketplace and a nearby field, and they plow the field. Anyone wishing to buy may then drive oxen themselves and examine how the animals actually work as a team. This is like calling you. Okay, so obviously it was a lie again. You would not go say, I've got to go buy them and check them out. It would have been done first. Line number two. Now let's talk about the wife. That is like calling your wife at home. Oh, never mind. Let me finish reading this because this kind of ties in with what Jeff and... Uh, gosh, Susan, why can I never get your guys' names right? All right. This is, yeah, this is like calling your wife at home and saying you'll be late for a big dinner that has been planned for weeks because you might need to go out and look at five cars you just bought without looking at them. <laughs> The other way to buy oxen is to announce that the team is for, is for sale and say what day the team will be working in the field. Prospective buyers can come by to watch the field, examine and test again for themselves. After the team is examined thoroughly, a price is then discussed. The excuse is a lie. In a tightly knit community in the Middle East, a wedding calls for a celebration. At a celebration is food and lots of it. The community would have been aware of the wedding and many people would have been invited. Meals would have been prepared beforehand. Therefore, the banquet would not have been scheduled for the same day as the wedding. So now we're getting into more deeper lies of what's going on. Also, if a man simply wants to be with his wife, then why did he accept the invitation in the first place? That one kind of hit for me. Okay. So anger would be the, nat the, the natural expectation of the head of the household. He's been insulted three times. The invited guest refused to respond to the good news that the feast is ready. What then is the host going to do? He cannot have a feast without guest. Then he invites the unworthy, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, if you listen to that part, that's where the supernatural style of evangelism comes in. That's the biblical principle for the supernatural part. He's calling people who need help. He's calling people who obviously need healing. And they have a physical need that needs to be met. He brings in the undesirables. So he gives the command to bring the poor who aren't normally invited to banquets. The crippled who cannot test oxen in the field. And the blind who could not normally marry. What's happened is the, 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 the host of the feast is weeding out any chance for you to lie, to not be a part of what he has to offer. Now, I, um, I think I'm, I've maybe shared this experience before, but I feel like I'm to share it again with, with being in foster care the first time we got a, a young man, his name was, can I, go, can I say his name? All right, I'm not going to say his name. First one we had, a little boy, two years old or something. I get the call, and I'm thinking, wow, when I get home, I'm going to see this little dude, and it's just going to be so exciting, and I've got all this stuff to give this kid. I can, I'm a good dad, by George. I can do it. 
And this kid, his parents don't even want him. And I get there, and I walk in the door, and Ashley's got him, holding him. And I walk up, and I'm like, well, hey, buddy, how are you? And he just throws a fit. And he's scared, and he wants nothing to do with me. And like, in the matter of just like three or four seconds while this is going on, the Lord speaks to me. Because I'm thinking, but man, I'm a good dad. And I can give him a good life, and I can love this kid. And he's not seeing it, he's not even feeling it. And God says, how do you think I feel? How does dad feel when he's got all this, this better life to give people? How, and take it a step further. How do you think he feels that he's given us a better life? But yet the only thing we do is come to church on Sunday. And, and we're too scared because we think we'll mess it up to step out. And uh, do something different. Um, turn all the lights off for a minute. Just flip them off. Please. Ashley, will you hop up there and flip that off? You probably can't turn these off though, can you? Please. Can you turn these off too? Yes. All right, you can stay right there. All right. Um, with the exception of what little bit of light you can see, this is how I live my life. Even though I was raised with a Christian family, my dad was a pastor. My mom probably has never done a thing wrong in her life, at least, you know, naturally. She's never done outright sin anyway. But this, this is where I was at. And if it hadn't been for what my parents had taught me, for the most part, I wouldn't have made it through that. There is a city where people are living like this day in and day out. They think they have no hope. They are searching for answers. And this, this is what we do. This is how most of the time mainstream evangelism has worked or what we've done. Hey, you should come to my church. I know you're in there. I know it's dark and I know you're scared. I know you're hurt. I know you need something. I know you need answers. I know your marriage is messed up. Hey, I know you're on drugs. Hey, hey, come to church. Uh, and by the way, our church is New Covenant, or our church is First Baptist, or our first is Second Baptist, or our first is whatever it is. Hey, come to church. And then we step out.
or fallout. We don't walk in to the darkness. And that's where they're all at. You were meant to walk in and start shining your light. Wait, where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they at? Oh, here they are. Oh, my gosh. There's like 200, and I can't do it myself. Or sometimes we walk in, and we're like, ah, oh, Mike Brown to do it. Oh, the evangelist to do it. Oh, Billy Graham, he'll do it. Or whoever. And we stay away. You can flip the lights back on. There are people in darkness and need answers. Are you, am I, going to do something about that? Or are you, it was uncomfortable, wasn't it, to sit there in darkness and you got all these thoughts in your head. I hope you started thinking because this is where your kids are at. If your marriage is a mess, this is where your husbands and your wives are at. If your parents aren't Christians, this is where they're at. This is where your coworkers are at. But what we tend to do is we invite them to church and we come in here and we shine our light. You know, and I've been guilty of that. Oh, I'll shine my light when I can get up here and I can preach a message and I can shout the house down. Oh, wait, wait, I'll come over here and I'll be on a prayer team. I'll shine my light. You're in a, it's, there's light in here already. You come in here with God's light. It's easy to shine your light then. It's easy to be on the worship team. I can shine my light up here. Or I can do whatever I'm doing back there. Those are good things. I'm not saying that they're not. But we have a dad who's got a great feast prepared and has given us some specific direction to go out. And as we dig into the word and we get in and we love it, we find out we, we can look past and be like, oh, those are lies and excuses. But we can start to dig and find out there's more to it. That There's just so much more in this thing to give us all the answers to evangelize and where to go and what it's going to look like. But we need to get out. We need to shine a light. Would you agree? Yes. We're about to wrap up. I'm, I'm a big fan of this whole chapter. Luke 14. All right, I did that. The basics of evangelism is just showing, is showing love and mercy. Now, I can think of while I was in the dark and yet... There's a biblical principle that says if you teach and train a child in the way it should go, it will not depart. There were some things that my parents taught me that I did not depart from. The many times in jail, covering my head, crying, hoping Bubba didn't hear me because I didn't want to seem like a little wimp. You know, it was going in my head. I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, you know the right thing. What's the word say? I love you. I can forgive you. Things can change. But there wasn't anybody in those places showing me light. Now, I know I give, I give him a lot of credit, but Rob White really showed me some light. Rob White showed me a light and showed me 
he's an evangelist, and he affected my life, and he did something in me. He just didn't talk about it. He had a light, and he showed it. And he was not afraid to go into the dark places and sit there while people drank or smoked their weed or, you know, was talking about whatever. We have to be able to go out and build a relationship. We have to shine the light. Now, Word also says to be salt and light. And if you want to read all that, it is in there. We'll do one more thing and we'll, we'll wrap up. Obviously, this is water. This is a representation of Newcastle, we'll say. The Word says to be salt and light. And most of the time, this is what we think of. Would you agree? Be salt and light. First thing that comes in mind. Table salt. Put some of that stuff on whatever you watermelon tomatoes whatever you put it on all right so i want you to look at this and, and and jesus spoke in parables for one of many reasons all right he spoke in parables so people would understand so when he spoke this parable people knew that oh the master of the house knew it was a lie that the next time they went to sell oxen they would think about the the dinner the next time they used their wife as an excuse or get married they would think about oh the kingdom is it's like a big feast. Salt and light, they understood. Here's kind of where we're at. If this is, this is Newcastle. And again, as I'm coming across with this, I don't want you to, I really don't want it to feel critical. Because it brings conviction on myself as well. Because as the evangelist, I've not done a very good job. And that's where I have to do better. That's where things have to be revamped. But here's what we've done, even though table salt is not what God was talking about. We have Mike Brown and a few other evangelists. And that's what we're doing. Now, do you think that affected that water very much? Can't even taste the difference. Hmm. Maybe he'll go out again. Well, let's... Let's let the Holy Spirit shake it up a little bit. If I can get it tied up. Uh, Holy Spirit, get in there, stir it up. Yep, yep, yep. But I bet you it doesn't taste any different. Can't even taste the salt. Now, there was probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 little granules of salt in that area but the second part of this is what we've allowed as a church as a christian culture is instead of being the salt that gets together with others and goes out to affect a place we've allowed because i can't taste the salt the atmosphere that's around the salt actually is is taking away from what the salt can do what we've done is we've allowed our atmosphere to, to corrupt us and allows us to have no effect. Thank you, Eric. You want to preach the message for me? <laughs> no, I know. You was helping me. I love it. I love it, man. That's great. I love it as far as you know. No, I'm just... <laughs> 
I've been wanting to use that from Bob for a long time. You guys know what this is? We're about done. Okay, we're about done. I promise you this is all important. This is pure salt. This is 100% pure Himalayan salt. Okay? Now, you can take this and scrape it off. If you've got a sharp enough knife, and you can get it on your, on your food. Okay? But this salt was formed from one little bitty crystal that bonded to another. You want to say anything? Okay. <laughs> All right. That bonded to another. That bonded to another. This was originally very microscopic, but then it's formed into this piece of rock salt. Now, it's very interesting that, the, as Tom brought out, that the word actually says to be salt and light. Let's turn there and read that real quick. Man, you guys are doing great. Thanks for tracking with me. Thanks for not quitting. If dang worship wasn't so long, I'd have more time to preach this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, can't, I didn't even write that down. I hate, I hate that I didn't do that now. I feel really bad. But anyway, there's a scripture that says to go out and be salt and light. Let me read to you what happens when you put light with this Himalayan rock salt. Now, as I've started to enjoy my reading, I'm, I'm finding a lot of things. And that really one of my the things I really get a lot of joy from is reading the stuff that science has done to prove what the Bible says. And it proves how clever Jesus really was when he would say stuff and he would, he would do this, okay? So... Um, there's, the, there's this, okay, just, just follow with me. I'm not trying to go all, you know, yeah. But Himalayan rock salt. You can actually get light bulbs and they make shades out of the rock salt to put around the light bulb. We use these lamps so often that I figured they deserve their own post. This is about a post. Salt lamps are simply large pieces of pure Himalayan salt with a, salt with a bulb inside. They can be solid pieces of salt or decorative. It is important to make sure, blah, blah, blah. The importance, okay? Salt lamps are natural negative ion generators. At any given time, there are both positive and negative ions in the air. All right? An ion is an atom or a molecule in which the total number of electrons is not equal to the total number of protons, giving the atom a net positive or negative electrical charge. Negative ions occur more often in nature, and they are often created by things like lightning storms, sunlight, waterfalls, and ocean waves, which, hmm, all have salt involved. This is one of the reasons people often report feeling renewed or refreshed after a storm or at the beach. Positive ions are often created by electronic devices like computers, TVs, microwaves, and I don't, I'm not for sure about this one, vacuum cleaners, <laughs> and can often uh, exaber, ex, exuberate, yeah, whatever, thank you, problems, okay, like allergies, 
stress, and sleep trouble. Negative ions can neutralize positive ions and help cleanse the air. The unique combination of salt and light source in salt lamps are what cause the negative ions. Salt is hydroscopic, meaning that it attracts water to its surface and thus water evaporates quickly due to small amounts of heat. All right. So since things like airborne mold, bacteria, and allergens often carry a positive charge, they can be neutralized by negative ions. All right, you can get on and check some of that out. Here's what it's saying. Salt and light together will affect your body. Salt and light together will affect your thought process. It will affect your atmosphere. Supernatural evangelism. All right, or just plain old regular evangelism, being nice to somebody, loving on them, making a meal. Jesus was no dumb dumb. Agreed? He used these things on purpose. Salt and light do actually, in the scientific world, do something to your body and your atmosphere. Go Jesus, right? So, guarantee you we don't have the time for it, but this in here is going to affect that water. And it, it's, it's, you can already see some little bubbles and some salt coming off of it. That affects. So how does that tie in with the evangelist and evangelism? Like I said, that rock was made because it bonded to other little pieces of salt. So what's my job? It's to equip you. It's to bond with you. Bond us all together through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus and God, so we can evangelize and make change. Who wants to see changes? Who believes and knows that this town needs change? Agreed? All right. Let me check my notes here. You guys are doing awesome. All right. So I know what normally happens after a message like this. We all get fired up. Yeah, let's go save some people. Let's get into the darkness. Let's go do all this stuff. There's a cost. There is a cost. And what we've not very done, what we've not done very well as a church, especially when it comes to ministry, is we have not encouraged people to count the cost. Now that is changing. All right? There is a cost to evangelize. And also normally what happens is you get up here, you fire people up, and they're like, Mike, I want to be on an evangelism team, and I want to go save people, and let's go get them healed, and let's go tomorrow, and let's do this, and let's do that. Man, that's awesome. I want you to count the cost. Okay? So your question could be, well, what do I do now? We've, I've explained to you what the evangelist is to a degree. I've talked to you about evangelism, what we can do. Uh, I'm going to give you some examples. But the main thing I want you to do today is when you leave here is not come get my attention and say, Mike, I'm an evangelist. Mike, I want to go do this. Mike, I want to go do that. Do that. No, I want you to think and spend the next, spend this next week. Let's just start out there. Just start praying and talking to the Lord. Lord, the word says I need to evangelize, that the evangelist is to equip me. How does that work? Show me what it's going to cost me. Is this the season for me to really get, what's the word? Aggressive. What would you say? Plugged in and aggressive with being evangelistic. With saying, I am not going to sin anymore because that's what the Word says and I'm going to get out and do something. 
Okay? So what now? Well, we're working on, a, a, I'm, I've been spending some time with the Lord. I'm getting a new strategy for evangelism. Evangelism team's going to look different. It's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be changed. We're going to go about some things in a little different way. I'm not going to give you a meeting time, but I'm going to post it on Facebook. And I'm going to make an announcement here in the next couple of weeks on a time that we can get together if you're interested. This meeting will not just be to get out and go out and do a treasure hunt. We're going to get together and we're going to talk. And when you come to this meeting, I want you to come with a small list of what it's going to cost you to be a more aggressive part of an evangelism team, to get out and do something. Now, just because you're not going to come and be part of the team or you're, you're interested, I want you to come because I'm going to go a little bit deeper into a few things. Get some more information. We've not been good at getting information. We've been good at following people because some people can move you. We've not been good at going deeper into what it's actually going to cost so we can do something, so we can be effective. Luke 14, it says, uh, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there was enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of funds, and then how everyone would laugh at you. They would say there's the person who started the building and ran out of money before it was finished. Or what kind of king would even dream of going into a war? All right. Count the cost. I'm going to give you a little list to run down of what this could cost you, and then we'll pray and get out of here. Thank you for tracking. Thank you for staying. Thank you for not playing on your phones and, you know, thinking about the meal that you're going to go have here in a little bit. Because when you're up here preaching, you can tell. And you've been very engaged. That's not been because of me, but the Holy Spirit's had to do that. It's had to keep your attention. All right? You know the importance of evangelism. You know what the Word says about evangelism. We should all do it. You know, an evangelist should equip you. We are to be salt and light that we can change and we can affect a city, a town, a region, and a country. You know it's going to cost you something. You have the opportunity to get more deeply involved in evangelism. Are you going to pray about it? Are you going to take the call serious? You can even, if you have questions, we don't do real good at at utilizing Facebook sometimes, especially with the church page. So even after this message, if a question pops up, put it on there. So we can use, we have social media for a reason. Right? I'm not a huge fan of it, but it is there. So if you have something, I can't possibly call every one of you or take every one of your phone calls. Send a little message. But here's what it could cost. Could cost you... If you're going to be a part of a team, it's going to cost you at least four hours a month. It's going to cost you TV time. It's going to cost you self-time. You might not be able to go shoot your guns like you normally want to. Go play basketball. Work out. You might have to skip a workout. You might have to skip out on the overtime so you can have extra money for whatever you're wanting to buy. Cost you youth. It could cost you video time. It could cost you time with your girlfriend. It could cost you time with your boyfriend. <clears throat> which I don't advise, <coughs> the boyfriend-girlfriend part. You're going to have some sleepless nights because if you really take this serious, you all have lost people in your family. When's the last time you lost two hours of sleep praying for them? 
or a close friend, good buddy. It's going to cost you some meals. You probably fast. We're a church that doesn't fast very well. Matter of fact, you probably hear less about fasting than you do about tithing from up here. <laughs> Maybe that should change. But it's going to cost you some tithing. It's going to cost you some... No, not tithing. <laughs> it's going to cost you some meals. It's going to cost you time doing some prayer walks. Alger's super faithful. He's a lot better at it than I am. I don't always make it at three, but I need to make sure that I do because that's a commitment. I have no excuse. I can, I've gave him some, but I have no excuse. Meet at 3 o'clock every other Sunday at a courthouse and the park. We're seeing some changes happen downtown. The more we pray, the more changes we're going to see. Not seeing much going on at the park because it's wintertime. But what would happen if we poured half hour to an hour worth of prayer in that area? What could happen in the springtime? We could see a change. That's where young kids go when they don't have no place else to go. Drink, hang out with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, do things they shouldn't be doing, getting involved with things they shouldn't be getting involved in. We need to saturate it in prayer. It's going to cost you time to do that. Could cost you extra gas money if you live out of town. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared, prepared to come to Newcastle? or if you live outside the county or whatever to pour into here, am I okay with, because it's going to cost me some time, because some of you go to other towns. So we also have to look at, well, how do, we, how do I equip a Chuck to where he's got what he needs in Muncie to do the same thing? It's going to cost me as well. But we don't think about it till we jump in and we're in the water and we're like, holy crap. I didn't know it was going to be like this. It's going to cause you to be more detailed. You're going to have to think a lot more. You're going to have to make out a schedule. You're going to have to follow a schedule. These are just some of the things that I could think of off the top of my head that I wrote down. Are you willing to even take your children with you on this journey? Because then it's really going to cost you some time and some effort. See, I've, I've spent some extra time with my children on some evangelism stuff and taking them out. And that's why it's starting to pay off that in third grade, she asked her, she's making out invitations to go to an event. That's why my son understands that when he goes to the park and he walks with me, he doesn't say a word. But he walks quietly the whole time. Dad, I'm praying in my head. Dad, I'm praying. Okay, you pray in your head. But see, I've had to take some extra effort in explaining and giving the words of the importance of that. What happened before the walls of Jericho fell? They walked around at first, and they kept their mouth shut. Thank you, Alger. I forgot about that. But there was much prayer involved. We have to pray more. We have a night of where we do worship and prayer. You might want to sit at home and watch the IU game or the Duke game or whatever. You might just want to sit out and play a game with a friend because you just want to veg. But what would happen if this many people showed up on a prayer and worship night to do nothing but just praise the Lord and then start praying 
for a town that needs a greater revelation of revival. Because of my gift, I believe it's already started. It's our, we're already building, we're already going, but it is not where God really wants it. At the end of, uh, at the end of you know, the, what I read, read about the, uh, the dinner and the invitation, you can go ahead and stand up. The first time he sent them back out to get the lame and, and, and the crippled, and they came back, they fulfilled, if you read that, they fulfilled that mandate. All right? So, so again, he, he sends out two invitations at first. They cancel on him. Then he comes back and he says, all right, go out to the highways and the hedges or wherever it was he said. And they bring some in. And then they come back and say, master, but there's still room. See, that's where we're at. The first mandate's already been fulfilled. The first request to go out and bring people in has already been filled. And daddy, the head of the household, has said, all right, then go. I've still got room. Today, the, whatever this is, the 8th of February, Daddy says there is still more room. So it's still ongoing. It's not that it quit, but it's still alive. It is still breathing. Say there is still more room. Say that there's still more room for my family. <laughs> Father God, we just thank you. And we love you. Because, Daddy, you're amazing, you're powerful, you're almighty, you're patient. Your love never fails and it never gives up. And it never ran out on me. Your word is true and it's telling us it's, it's not really, it's, it's giving us a mandate to go out into the darkness and save the lost. To invite them, to love on them and invite them back to your house because you have a a place that is full for people to be. Or you, have a, you have a table that's full of food for people to come eat, to be a part of what you want to do. So, Lord, we ask you to show us key people in our life that we really need to go after, two or three people that we really need to spend time on. Show every person in this room, including myself, Lord, what is the cost so that we might correctly count the cost before we jump in so we can say I can afford that and that I'm willing yes that I would say by faith I'm stepping in and I will not be scared that I will see the lost reached and I will see the deaf hear and the blind see and I will see lost people get saved and I will see more evangelists rise up in this place so, Lord, reveal yourself as the evangelist to all of us that we may know what the cost is. Is it the season to get more involved? Because you're okay with us counting the cost and saying, probably not right now. But you're okay with the truth and not the excuse. There is a difference. So, Lord, let us see truth. Let us build upon truth. Let us dig into your word. Show us even people today as we go about our day, who can we show love to? And Lord, bless Marcus as he meets with the, with the, with the cop today. 
God, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just fall all over him, that you would, you would give him the words to speak, that, that, the, that your love, Father, would just flow out of him, and that when they sit down, that there would just be this such a great feeling of love and enjoyment and pleasure from Father, that, Lord, salvation would take place, that you have, you have done what your word says, that you said you'd set people in front of kings and queens and princes, and, Lord, this police officer is in government. He is up there. And you put Marcus in his place. So thank you for that. And let your love flow. And let salvation come to this man's life. To his whole household. And that what the enemy meant for harm. (laughs) What the enemy meant for harm. What the enemy meant to tear down and to separate that you are using to build your kingdom. And we look forward to the testimony. Be blessed and amen.